there are depression moments. There are moments when like, you know, you, things are very hard. Uh, you want uh, people you can talk to, people you can, you know, even though it's a lonely job, you at least find the kind of the, you know, in my case, I didn't have a co-founder. So which yeah. one thing I, I really think was a bad idea. <laughs> but or, but this ha it just happened, I didn't plan for it. But my, but the, 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 the first person I hired, he kind of de became a de facto co-founder. And so at least I had, you know, uh, uh, you know, someone you, you want someone who you can talk to about everything. You know, welcome to Outliers. You know, this is the podcast that I've been doing. Uh, this is the 50th episode. And, uh, you know, it's been a conversational journey. Uh, like entrepreneurs have journeys. So conversations, I believe, are also like those long journeys. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited that we have Jyoti Bansal, uh, you know, here to do this 50th episode of Outliers. Uh, I believe you are an outlier because uh, you are not on some island or on a yacht yet. <laughs> you are here uh, mm -hmm. sitting uh, and chatting with us. I mean, when, 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 uh, when I heard first the Cisco exit, I mean, 3.7 billion is quite a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And you are an outlier even more so because you are again trying to build companies, right? Yeah. I am a just born rookie entrepreneur, one and a half year. You know, uh, <laughs> it is not easy. It is tough. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine. Yeah. Uh, let us start from the start, Jyoti. Yeah. So, so who, how do you define yourself? Who are you? I would say, you know, um, I, I like to build things. I like to create things. That's what I define myself. Like that's what, where I get passion is building something from scratch. You know, solving a hard problem, kind of learning, improving. That's the core of what I like to do. Like you know, some people do things for doing it for money, doing it for something else, for fame, whatever. For me, it's like a hard problem, big problem, exciting. Some you know, something that you just want to build and you know, build value, build solve a hard problem. That's the thing that will, that drives me, and you know, to build something of substantial value, you know, I when I used to always start with like you know, you start building a technology, then I realized like you know, it's like if you want to build values of it's, uh, you know, it has to be beyond technology, so you have to monetize it and it has to be business, and then you learn like you know, if if you want to build something as a big business, then it's all really about people and leading people. So you kind of you know, but to me, it's, everything kind of goes from that framework. Like you know, I want to build things and create things and solve problems and you know, just have you know, it's, it's challenging, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, give us a sense of uh, where you come from. I mean, you are from Rajasthan. Yeah. That's a place where, you know, I know people <laughs> could go as a tourist, mostly. <laughs> so t tell us uh, a little about your background and growing up, and how did you become a tourist and landed up in the valley? <laughs> uh, OK, OK. So you know, I, I, grew, I grew up in a small town in Rajasthan. Uh, like. A, uh, and when you grow up in a small town, middle class family, normal things, like, you know, every, your parents want you to become either an engineer or a doctor, right? That's the only option anyways. So it's, that's what I did. Like, you know, I wanted to be in, let's go study engineering. So I went to IIT, applied for IIT, went, went to IIT Delhi. Uh, for me, one of the, the interesting things growing up was uh, that, you know, it was a Marwadi family and my dad was a small business, like a shop owner. And every, everyone I knew was some kind of a shop owner, like someone selling clothes, someone selling whatever, right, you know. But everyone was selling stuff. So I kind of like, always fascinated by business because I've seen business, even these are very small businesses in a small town, but you've seen what works, what doesn't work. So I, I was fascinated with business. So even though I went to IIT, 
to me, it's like, you know, that small business uh, was always interesting and fascinating. So I was one of the few people in IIT at that time. Now it's like, I just went to IIT Delhi last week. Everyone wants to be an entrepreneur in IIT Delhi. <laughs> when I was there, there were like, you know, more, a lot of people want to go and do masters and PhDs or like do MBAs. There were a few people who will say, okay, now we want to go and do startups or work in startups. I was, that's something I, want, I wanted to do because that's fascinated me. And, you know, it's it always like, uh, I thought it, it's easy to create when you have more control and like, you know, start from scratch, right? So, but when I graduated from IIT, there wasn't a good startup ecosystem. Like there was no, yeah. I don't think there were any even VCs here or no, you know, if you, if you wanted to engage in startups, work in startups, create startups, to me it's like, I should go to Silicon Valley. That's the place where startups are, so why don't I go there? So at that time, you know, it's, it wasn't, like these Silicon Valley companies won't come to IIT campuses to, to, to recruit. So mostly you will go to US to do a master's or PhD or something. And I was like, you know, let's maybe there, there has to be a way to short circuit that, like, well, I don't want to do master's or anything. So, so I started just applying outside of the campus to startups in Silicon Valley. And you apply to 20 of them, and one of them will eventually take you, right? So, so that's, that's, that's how I got to Silicon Valley. So, <clears throat> very interesting. When did that journey start from, from the IIT campus to the valley? And also, the overall transition from being uh, an engineer to an entrepreneur or a CEO. Mm -hmm. I think I'm not sure if I, we can capture this in today's session, mm -hmm. but but it, it looks like you have done well on that front. We will also discuss what you have and you have struggled, but mm -hmm. this transition seems to be very interesting, right? From being an engineer to an entrepreneur or CEO. Mm -hmm. uh, take us through that journey. Sure. So first of all, the transition doesn't happen overnight, right? So you know, people see me as a successful CEO now, and people think the transition happened very quickly, right? The transition happens. A lot of small uh, learnings and struggles, and you know, uh, goes through in the transition. And it's uh, many times people ask me, okay, you know, what were the the two biggest things that happened? And I tell them like, there's no two big things. There are probably 200 small to mid-sized things that happened that shapes the transition. It's not like one or two big big things that that that, that really shapes it. So, you know, uh, I I want you know, most startups start with like you know some kind of. Uh, passion for a problem, right? You, you, you run into a problem somewhere and say, okay, someone needs to solve this problem. And, you know, th there has to be a better, better way of doing this. So that's how I started Abdanomics also. I was like, you know, someone has to do this better. Like, you know, people are, there is no good solution to this. Someone has to do this better. And which was, in my, in my case, was that people are building software all over the world and someone needs to have a better way to manage and monitor and if something goes wrong in the software. And there were no good, good products to do that at that time, right? So when you start itching with that passion, you, I was an engineer. I wasn't really, I, I wasn't a CEO, I wasn't an entrepreneur there. Like, but, but once you start running into that passion, I'm like, someone needs to solve this. And I said, okay, if someone needs to solve this, why don't I try it, right? So, and being in Silicon Valley, you see a lot of startups. I worked in three different startups before that. And working in startups was a great learning experience uh, for me. So I knew, you know, what does it even mean to do product startups and do things. At least as an engineer, I've seen those. So I started, I quit my job and starting, starting, uh, started the company and, you know, raising capital and things like that. Where were you working and uh, how did you quit and you just started the next day or how did that no, actually happen? So, you know, uh, I, in, when I moved to Silicon Valley, I worked in a few startups. Like my first startup was a very, and these are all like deep techni technology startups and I, none of them are very successful. Like the, my last one was, was successful, uh, but the first two were not very successful. But you learn a lot from the failed startups than actually the successful startups. And, and Silicon Valley, the good thing is like there is almost no stigma for failed startups. So you can 
you work there and you learn them and like no one judges you that you work in a failed startup, right? But, you, you, but your learning is really, really nice. So I was working, um, you know, in my, in, my, in my startup number three that was acquired by a large company. And I had this idea of what AppDynamics does. I started working on it and pitching to VCs and investors. I still remember like, you know, one of the VCs I was pitching to, he asked me like, you know, do, do you really believe in this idea? And I said, yes, I do. So okay, why are you still in your job then? Well, if I, if I wasn't willing to take a risk for like maybe six months of salary or income to start something, why should investors take a risk with me there, right? So, and that's a valid question. The next day I quit my job. So I was like, you know, okay, I, I, I have to be able to answer the questions. I quit my job next day and, uh, uh, and kept working on the, on, the, on, on the startup. So kind of the, the, becoming an entrepreneur is easy. It's, it's really like, you know, how do you evolve from that entrepreneur to, you know, because entrepreneur is really the, the mental state of making the jump. Right, jump from doing a job in, in, in somewhere to like a jump of like, you know, you need to start something. Yeah. And that's a decision you make at some point and you do it like, you know, but what happens after that is when it's, it's, it's really the hard part. The, the other thing that happens is also uh, you, you start finding a lot of uh, advisors around uh, mm -hmm. in the ecosystem. And sometimes you are also looking for advisors. Yep. So what has been your journey with advisors? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and please be sure. uh, blunt. <laughs> okay, okay. I was spending a lot of time talking to advisors. And, and I, I realized like, it's not really, I had to run a business. Um, I, the rule I at that time set was like, you know, either you bring me a customer or an employee, otherwise I'm not take, take, taking a meeting with you. Because what's, what's the point? Like, you know, so I, you want like, people who will help you execute. Because once you know roughly what to do, it's all about you learn better by executing than by talking to a lot of people. But that doesn't mean you don't need advice. You need a lot of advice and learning. So my, the, the rule that worked for me was like more, I call it like, you know, instead of getting an uh, like a advisor for everything, you, which is hard, like the real good ones are hard to get. Like how do you convince them to be your advisor or spend time with you? So the real good ones are very hard to get anyways. So uh, I call it like more of a topic or a problem oriented advice. So which is like, say, say if I'm struggling with something, I'm trying to figure out like, you know, how do I, you know, AppDynamics, we are selling to US markets and we need to sell to international markets outside of US, let's say Europe. How do I get that going, right? So the way I would look at it is like, who are the 10 people or 10 companies who have done that well? And can I get someone, can I get a, you know, can I ask them specific advice on that particular topic? So, or that particular problem, instead of like more of a generic advisor. So that, that uh, from in my experience, that I have learned more through that. Uh, you know, one, one, one trick I have used is also interviewing people, uh, which is like say, like say if you want to learn something about how do you structure your marketing organization. If you hire, like if you, if you interview 10 candidates for a vice president of marketing and you ask them the same question in the interview, by after 10 interviews, you will know the answer completely, like what to do, right? So interviews are a good place to learn and get advice, really, for free. <laughs> <laughs> so no advisor equity in your case? Did you dole out any advisor equity? You uh, only once. You did? In the very, very beginning. Like one of my mentors very in the very beginning was a professor of computer science at Stanford. And like when I was just beginning, uh, like it was just me, uh, one person. And yeah, so that's the only person I gave advisor equity to. Let's go deeper into the salesmanship that you referred to from, you know, the whole Marwadi mm -hmm. salesmanship uh, that you saw when you were going up and, and the small shops that mm -hmm. you observed. Uh, how much of those lessons were you able to, I mean, 
you know, I'm, I'm also trying to understand the journey sure. in, in you as a salesman. Uh -huh. uh, how, how was that journey? Sure. It's, first of you, all, it's, you have done well. <laughs> <laughs> no, first of all, it's kind of strange that, like, you know, I identify myself as an engineer and a product guy, and a lot of people think of me as a sales expert now. <laughs> and you know, everywhere I talk, like, I, because it's it's I I have learned a lot about sales, and I can, you know, write, you know, I I can go and write a book on programming, but I can also write a book on sales. So that's that's an interesting thing, right? But if you look at the the growing up in the the the, Mar the Marwadi shops, uh, the basics of the business are not too different than in any business. Like you know, you have to have a good product, you have to find people to come to your shop, so like some kind of a demand generation of some kind. You have to compete against other neighboring shops because there is always competitors, like there is no, you never be like the, the only player in the, in the market for anything. And then you have to make sure your customer service is good so that the word of mouth will spread or people will come back and repeat customers will happen. So the, 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 the fundamental basics of a small shop are really no different than the basics of a, almost any business. So that part was 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 clear, like you know, and uh, of, and and you have to the the other part is you have to manage your financials and you know the the economics of the business business well, right? So that 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 you learn. But when I started AppDynamics, like I didn't know too much of that. And but I think the other thing is it's it's not that you don't have to learn it from day one. Also, you go through this many many stages. Like you know, for for a for a product startup normally. Your, your stage one is really nothing to do with sales. It's really about doing product market fit. If you can go and learn the sales execution process, but if you don't have a product market fit, it's, you're really wasting your time. So it's like, so it's, it's really, I would say, to me, it's like, the, uh, you know, my, the way I would operate is like, what, what, what is the, let's say, the, the definition of the next stage for me to get into? And so, so what's the success? Uh, what's the success criteria for uh, for me to get out from this stage one to two, right? And uh, you know, uh, one of the analogy I use is like a video game, right? So you start playing a new video game, right? You go on level one. Yeah. When you're level one, you're figuring out some of the basics of what to do, and you kind of initially you struggle, then you figure out you know what to how to complete that level, and then you go to the next level, and then there's a different set of problems, and then you figure out what to do in that you know, struggle, and you figure out, and then you get to the next level. So the way that's I, I I looked at the same thing in the startup, right? You know, what is the next level, and what do I need to figure out to get to the next level, right? So the, the, to me, the, the level zero was getting funded. In Silicon Valley, you can't really bootstrap a product company for too long. Like you know, maybe here you can because the cost is a little bit lower, uh, and the the uh, but it, so for me, like the level zero was like you know, if I can't get funding, there is no next level. So that was the first step one. Like then it was like okay, I need to find product market fit. Uh, and that took me 18 months to get there, and it's it was nothing to do with learning sales or learning anything at that point. But then once you get to that, and then okay, now I need to figure out my early sales machine and how do I build early sales? How do I get like you know I have a product market fit? How do I convert it to 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 us to a sales model of some kind? How do I hire like executive level people for the first time? It's not easy to hire ex like a, the first time you hire as a hire a vice president, and you are a first in in, in a company who's probably. 10, 15, 20 years older than you in many cases. Like, uh, it's, it's a, even that is a learning. But the, to me, it was very clear that the next level is about for me to fill the gaps and bring the right executives who will help me get me to the, the, my, the, the, like the first 50 customers or get the sales motion going. So then you just, I would just focus on learning that. And you go there. And then you, once you hit, like, say, a $10 million of revenue, you know, th that, after that, you figure out like you know, okay, the, for me to get to the next level, let's say, which is like say, 50 million dollars of revenue, 
it's a completely different skill. It's really about sales execution at that point. Because you, most companies don't, like the, the zero to 10 million is already a lot about product execution. Building the best product, guiding, getting the product uh, market fit right. The $10 million to $50 million, $60, $70 million is, 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 is primarily about sales execution in the, in, in, in the market. Because you, if you build the right product, you, know, you will have that runway to push the product to that with the right sales execution. Then after you go to that level, then the set of problems change. Like you know, for most companies, for us, it was uh, uh, also the same was once we hit like 50, 60 million dollars, the, 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 we have nailed sales execution and how do you build sales machinery and all that. It was more about how do we expand from one product to a multi-product platform because we couldn't, the market would not be large enough if we don't do it. So, and we, our growth will slow down. So like for us to go from 50 million to like say 100 million, 150 million dollars, that became the next set of challenge. So it's like every level you go, it's like a video game, like it's next let, let a set of challenges, and you go and learn, try to learn for that problem. In some cases, you don't know what to do, then you try to hire the best person, right? So like when I went from the first stage to second to, I had a product market fit and I had to figure out how to do selling. I, I realized that I don't know anything about it, like you know, why don't I go and just hire an experienced vice president of sales? And maybe I'll learn by watching and observing and managing the person instead of me trying to make all the mistakes and learn it. So that's the one thing I tell, like if you can afford it, go and hire an experienced person in some cases, in some things. Because it, it cuts down the learning curve and you still have to learn. Like it, it doesn't, you hire an experienced person doesn't mean that you don't have to learn. But, you, but it cuts down the learning curve and it, you make less mistakes. This is very interesting, the way you captured the whole journey with hiring milestones. All, uh, all journey in two minutes. <laughs> what, what was uh, the biggest mistakes you made when it comes to hiring across these different uh, uh -huh. you know, milestones that you're talking about? Or were there any? Sure. <laughs> no, there are always hiring mistakes, right? You know, uh, I, I, I think if you get like seven out of 10 hires right, you've done a very good job. So you will always have three out of 10, uh, uh, 10 wrong in, 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 uh, in, in some ways. Uh, I think the initially when I was just very early on starting, the mistake I was making on was like, I will try to hire people like me for every role. Like, you know, people who are like engineers and analytical oriented, uh, even minded. Uh, and I, I would try to hire similar people for sales, similar people for marketing. And I soon realized that's a mistake. Like, you know, it's like, it's, it's a very different personality and different mindset and different, it's not just skill set, it's just a different personality. So like, you know, uh, so you don't want to hire the same kind of people for everything. Uh, so, and it's very, it's, you have to get comfortable when, with working and operating and, and respecting also the different set, those different personalities and different kinds of people in your organization. So that was one learning like, you know, that, uh, that I had to do. The second thing I've also learned is like, you know, this whole concept of culture fit. Yeah. You know, people, uh, you know, you have these HR departments always talk about culture fit. And I always tell them like, you know, what's, you know, isn't it our job to mold people in our culture? And initially we would do the same thing, like you know, this person doesn't sound like a culture fit. And to me it's like, you know, maybe they work in a company which is a different culture, our company has a different culture. So really the question we could, should be asking is not, are they culture fit? Like do they have the, say the flexibility, or they're open-minded and they're willing to, to adapt our culture? Not that they're already a culture fit or not, because otherwise you don't get good people in there. So that's the, you know, so some lessons learned in hiring people, and you know, as you, as you go, there's a lot of, a lot of things yeah. happen like that. Uh, the other interesting thing I, I thought is uh, the milestones that you discussed. Uh, as you grow 10 million, 20 million, 50, 100 million, and uh, your priority keeps changing, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of when do you want to beef up sales, product, mm -hmm. and so on. 
end of the day, we are building human organizations. Uh, and, and there are egos, and, and there, there are culture clashes. Mm -hmm. So as you kept prioritizing according to the growth of the company, how did you ensure there is balance? And how did you ensure that you pick the best leaders that are suited for the best roles? Uh, how was managing that internally? Sure. I think the for, for the company to move forward at the velocity that you want to move to, almost every function has to operate at its best. And uh, you know, I, I used to call like you know, like I'll, I'll I'll go to our engineering department for example and say that you know I I want you to think of that as, assume for a minute that our sales is bad and our customer support is bad. I want you to build the product that we can win just on the strength of our product. That we go into an into a into a competitive situation, our product just on the strength we can build. I would go to the sales organization. I'll tell the same thing. Like assume our product is bad. It's wor is is worse than competitors. Assume our customer support is bad. I want you uh, to build a sales organization that we can build just we can win just on the strength of your sales execution. And I'll do the same thing with our customer support and customer success. And you know it's it's, it's uh, that you know if if our product is bad, our sales is bad. Can we win just on the on the on the strength of how good our customer success is, right? So, and, and the way I look at it is like, you know, if, if, if I have these multiple functions in the company who are competitive differentiators and advantages of their own, at least it gives us some, so something, the, the world of technology and startups, things change very fast. You know, something changed, someone, you know, came up with a new product, technology shifted, something happened. If you have multiple competitive advantages, not just one, you get some runway to adapt to it, or like, you know, to, to change things and to kind of ad adapt to it and adjust to it, right? Especially if you missed out on something. So that's how I would look at it, like, you know, that every, every function has to operate at its best. And there is no personal ego should not be a thing. Like, you know, it's, 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 everyone has to operate and everyone has to drive the business forward. The good thing in a startup is, like, you know, in larger companies, these are, these are, these are bigger problems where, like, you know, people don't know what impact their role is, does and all. In a startup, everyone's is, is role is, you know, uh, kind of matches clearly, like, uh, as CEO, you do have to create a lot of alignment, though. So, you know, it's the, the, the I, I, I always talk about the number one job of CEO is to create alignment between all the different functions, that they're all going in the same direction, they're all doing the same thing, they're all marching towards the same goal and vision. And if, if, if once you do it, any of the right leaders, your job is really not, you don't have to do too much after that. Uh, were you always the CEO of AppDynamics from the start? Uh, from the start, yes. From uh, uh, until uh, until uh, you know six months before our IPO plans. So, when did you really become the CEO? Like, you know, when did you say, okay, now, now I am the CEO? Because there is a lot of uh, debate and dilemma about founder. You know, a lot of time founders want to drive, be in that driving seat. Mm -hmm. So, so how how is that uh, sure. for you? I, you know, it's it's. To me, I, I talk about those different stages, right? As founder, you are CEO from day one of your business. So I, I don't think like, you know, but it's, it's really, you're responsible for getting to the outcomes of that stage. So in the, say in the, in the stage one, which is, or stage zero, you're, it's really about getting the company off the ground and get, raise some capital. If you're a founder, and or as you're CEO of the company, like founder and CEO, and it's a two-person startup, you can't raise capital. That's you're not doing a job as CEO, right? Because that's that's your important part in addition to building the product and as an engineer, whatever you're doing. 
The next stage is finding the product market fit. So your job as CEO is to get to that outcome. So as a founder, if you don't learn to, to achieve that by either acquiring those skills or surrounding yourself with people so you can learn to acquire those skills, you have not done your job well, right? So when you go to the next level, it's the same thing. Like, you know, now you have to figure out sales execution. You go to the next level, you have to figure out like, you know, a strategy to, for a broader market and you're getting close to an IPO. You need to figure out operational efficiencies and things like that, right? And along the way, there are different things you need to achieve. So to me, the, the, it, all of this question on like, you know, should the founder be CEO and all that doesn't really matter to me. It's like, are, it, are people learning to get to the, to, to, to get to the next level? Are they learning the skills needed the, the, you know, to, to get to the next level? If they're not, then they're not the best person for that role at that point, right? Is this something like an, you know, an IPO CEO or an exit CEO or a founder CEO? What I'm trying to understand is in, in a company's journey, uh, these changes happen sometimes looking at, okay, so we are going for an IPO. Let's get a, a new CEO. Or, uh, okay, we are looking to exit or sell off. So let's get... So, so do these things really matter? I'm asking you because you, you've seen, been I, I, I don't think none of this matters. I think the, the, the founder CEO is the, is what you want is you want the founder CEO to learn to, be a, to get to the next level, ideally. As long as they want to do it and they, are, they enjoy it and they are willing to do it. But, so, that, so that's the first part. But, but say, so there is part of like, you know, you want them to learn and adapt to the next level. And they, they have to desire and want to do it also. Because sometimes it's not just about can you learn this, like do you want to learn something or do you want to be doing something, right? So the, those two have to fit. But in some cases, it, it, even after the best attempt, someone may not do, the, uh, not achieve the, what needs to be learned for the next level. That's the time you think of doing it. Anything formulaic, like uh, some kind of formula of like, you know, this happens and you do that is all, all it's, every, it's, it's all about the person. Like every CEO is different, every founder is different. It's, there is no formula. Every time someone thinks of a formula, it's a mistake. It's, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a pupil thing at, at some point. It's, there's no formula to it. Okay, let me <laughs> shift gears now. Uh, you know, this is the over $3 billion question, and which you, you have answered in many forums, of course. Uh, tell us something we don't know about the exit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, uh, take us through, uh, sure. uh, Jyoti, you know, the, uh, a, a lot of times, I mean, of uh, course, we are only looking at it from outside sure. and, 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 and wondering how and, and why it happened. Mm -hmm. But uh, take us through the core of, of, of that journey. Why did you do what you do, uh, whatever sure. you did? Well. So first of all, we, you know what you've heard from outside is most of the story. Uh, uh, it's we uh, we are not looking to sell the company. Like we are not looking for actively for a buyer. We were going public. We were like you know we had our first 50 employees were so our office in San Francisco and our first 50 employees flew to New York and they were in New York to ring the bell like two days later. So it it that was all real. Like we wouldn't have done if like you know. So it wasn't. Uh, it's. Uh, we had a good relationship with Cisco. They were a customer for a long time. They knew us well, and we were we were in conversations with them to form a strategic partnership, like you know, of, that we could sell the products jointly in the market. So it, it's not like you know, suddenly it was like the the first time we ever met them, and they came out of the blue for you know in the, uh, two days before. But a few days before the IPO, they were like you know, hey, we are excited about the strategic partnership that we have been talking about, and you know. Uh, why don't we acquire you instead of going public? Because we had a, you know, Cisco is going through this challenge of how do they transition from a hardware business to mostly a software business, and, and more of a subscription-oriented you know, uh, business over time. 
Uh, and they were convinced that you know something like AppDynamics could become a core foundation of of that transformation for them. So it just it wasn't just acquisition of AppDynamics business or AppDynamics revenue and all of that, right? It was also the kind of a, a key strategic uh, uh, element of their transformation from a hardware business to a software business, and they didn't want to risk it. So they said, like you know, if you go IPO, that's uh, you know we don't know if you know it's uh, we would be able to. Uh, to, to make this work or not, so why don't we do this before your IPO? And they made an offer. And you know, as, as, as board of directors, as shareholders, you have to, your, it's your fiduciary responsibility to look at every offer. And uh, we, said, we looked at the first offer and we said no to. Uh, they made a second offer, uh, we looked at it, we said no to that as well. And then they made a third offer. And that point it started to become like, you know, it's the, it, it, was, it was the right thing to do for shareholders. But there is also a, there is also a part of like you know when you think of uh, you're making those are hard decisions like you would think like a lot of people tell me oh you know you had to offer almost four billion dollars you know it's, it was probably a no-brainer to take it yeah. we had like 16 hour of a board meeting and intense discussion and fight on like would we do it or not for like you know for to to make the final decision it's well it's, these are not easy decisions right but to me the the important factor is like you know it's who, who are the stakeholders in the in that out, outcome, right? Financially, for me, like you know, if we went public or we went IPO or we went, you know, uh, either of those paths, it won't won't have made a difference in my in my life, right? At some point, that you know, it didn't won't made a difference. To most of our VCs and investors, also probably not that much. But the the key thing that I was looking at, like you know, we had all, we had fifteen hundred employees almost. All of them were had 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 stock. And if we didn't make the right financial decisions, the impact on their life is pretty pretty significant. So we also had to do like you know uh, keep that in mind. Like you know if we if we went public and you know this was an offer which was almost like two and a half times of of like you know what we would have IPO'd at, and like you know so we and if we if we took all the market risk and all of that for like the next three four five years and and the, our, our employees didn't get the, the that shareholder value they would have got. I'd be done the right thing for them, right? So it's those factors become important factor. And I, personally, for me, that was a very big factor of why you know uh, you know uh, why I would have uh, I supported that. Uh, and the one thing I take a lot of pride in is that in AppDynamics, we had 400 of our employees who made more than a million dollars, right? So it's it's life changing for so many people, and that's a big fulfilling part of what you know of what we do as an entrepreneur, right? What did you do as an entrepreneur after the exit? I tried to retire. <laughs> <laughs> so after the exit, like you know, I I, I didn't join Cisco uh, in an operational role, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, you know, someone was asking me how did I pull that off, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's a secret. You <laughs> that's <share> that. <laughs> no, but it's so I I only joined as in like a advisory role, not an operational role uh, there. So not too much to do. We had a good team in place, and you know, everything was. Uh, uh, to, to take care of the integration and everything. So it was a good question on what to do after, right? Uh, and I, the first thing I did was to try to retire and do nothing. Right. So I, I, I did travel a lot of places, you know, safari in Africa, you know, we went hiking in Bhutan, oh. and all sort of things that was on, my, on our list to do. So we kind of got a lot of things done from the, from the list. And then spent a lot of time sitting on a beach doing nothing and all that, right? But at some point you start like, okay, what do you want to do? Like, you know, I'm I'm still quite young. I can't I can't retire. How old are you? So, <laughs> yeah, I'm in in my late thirties. Uh, so right. I'm in my late thirties. Okay. Uh, and 
but I can't retire. Like what to me is like, okay, I can't keep. If if I would imagine myself sitting on the beach for the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and doing nothing, that would, that just wasn't exciting to me. So I had to go back to, and I was like, okay, what do I enjoy? And so you know, the the, the question for me was like retire. Second is like you know, become like more of a passive investor and advisor in in, in companies. And the third is like, operate and do things again to a, 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 you know. And I was like, I, I really enjoy it. That's what I enjoy. So I would do it. And people will come in and learn, oh, no, that's not a good idea. Maybe your next company would not be as successful as the previous company. And the, it's like, I don't care. Like, you know, at least the one thing I have, I, have, I have the luxury to do whatever I enjoy. I really don't care if the next company is as successful or not. This is what I enjoy, so I'm going to do it. So that's where I, that's the reason I just started the, you know, so I started this thing I call a startup studio where we experiment with multiple ideas and products so that, you know, we can build companies uh, from them. And we spin out then companies with the ideas are, 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 are interesting. And we have spun out our first company, which I'm co-founder and CEO right now, a uh, company called Harness. Uh, and it's, it's exciting, it's interesting, it's fun, like, you know, to, to do all of that again. So, Jody, I'll come back to uh, what you're doing now. But uh, the other thing with entrepreneurial journeys is, is uh, also this fatigue that sets in. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, some people call it founder depression, fatigue. I mean, you, you name it, right? So. You, you have had that kind of a, okay, we have an <laughs> you have interesting audience. You, you see, you're popular. <laughs> <laughs> She's on a mouse hunt. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, what, what I'm trying to understand from you is how, how did you face moments when, when you said, okay, I mean, you know, this yeah. is getting to my nerves or whatever. Yeah. How did you deal with depression and fatigue? A founder's journey is a hard journey. So any any time people people jump into entrepreneurship, and the first thing I ask them is like, "Are you ready for it?" It's not easy. It sounds once you hear the success stories, it sounds easy and glamorous, and people make it look easy also at some point, right? But it's really hard. Like you know, it takes a long time, long commitment. There are moments all the time, like you know, it's like, "Why are you doing this? Like this is so hard. This is so stressful." That happens a lot, right? And it happened to me also. Uh, I think um, when I initially started very early on, I was like, you know, I'll, I'll try, I'll, I'll try it. Like, if it doesn't work for after a year, I can always get a job back as an engineer that I was doing. So, what's to lose there? So, initially, I started with more of that mindset. The mindset started to change after some time. After some time, the mindset started to become more like, you know, you know, it's like, and a lot of it is to do with also your employees, because if once you start recruiting people. And you, you make them promises, you convince them that you should come and join me in this journey or this dream. And you have done that like, you know, uh, to 100 people. And you start feeling the responsibility now. And it's like, you know, okay, you, ha you have made the promises. You, it's, it's almost like your, your duty now, your responsibility in some ways. So which could be tiring. But at least that, that becomes a motivation after, after, after a point. Like, you know, you don't want to let so many people down. You know, you don't... So, and most times, say like you know, if you go with the mindset that failure is not an option and you have to find a way forward, you can find a way forward, right? And then like you know, every step you is a new thing to do. But there are depression moments. There are moments when like you know, you things are very hard. Uh, you want uh, people you can talk to, people you can you know, even though it's a lonely job, you at least find the kind of the you know. In my case, I didn't have a co-founder, so which yeah. one thing I I really think was a bad idea, <laughs> but or but this it just happened. I didn't plan for it. But my, but the, the 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 first person I hired, he kind of de became a de facto co-founder, and so at least I had you know uh, 
you know, someone you, you want someone who you can talk to about everything, and that's really very, uh, very, very important. Uh, because there are so many hard times. Um, so, but you, what can you do? You have to go through it. If I have to do it again, I would probably look at like, you know, better life balance and work-life balance. Uh, because when I was doing uh, abdominis, I didn't really care about it. Uh, and I, I was just so obsessed with, you know, especially things like, you know, not taking care of health. Uh, like because you you are like okay who has time to go to a gym or things like that right like I want and uh, that's one thing you realize that's a mistake because you can't sustain your body after some time like you know if you're not sleeping you're not eating well you're not working out at some point your body will break so I, I had that like you know so my in more than of a mental depression I had my physical depression that my body was just <laughs> just just breaking down yeah. and so I had to try do do a reset like you know like this this can't sustain and. I, and I did not just for me, I did it for a lot of our team because a lot of our team was doing this, doing the same thing. So I was actually, I would buy gym memberships for a lot of our team, like, you know, okay, you've got to or get a private, and like a trainer for them, that this is a long journey, like, you know, you have to go and, you know, get a better balance, otherwise we are all gonna, you know, uh, just get sick and fall down there. So, so, so you have to get some better balance and things. Final uh, couple of questions. What role did, uh, or his family playing in, in, in your life, uh, especially when you are now again taking the plunge mm -hmm. in entrepreneurship. Uh, how, how has that changed now? Now, uh, like, I'm, I don't know how, it, when you started up, uh -huh. the involvement of the family or in terms of decision making, should you do or should you not? How has that changed now with, uh, like you rightly said, uh, most of the, you know, you, you have the cushion, kind of a cushion. Has that changed? Yeah. You know, I, I would say for, for most of, for most of us, uh, it's not as risky as people think it is. Yeah. It's like, what is the risk? Like, you know, you can always, you know, in most cases, you'll always find, uh, you know, if, if, if you're good at whatever you do anyways, you'll always find the job, the same job back again. Uh, you know, at least in, in, in US and in Silicon Valley, that's, that's not an issue. Like, say, if I, I was working in a job and I failed as a, a, doing a startup on something, and I applied for the same job again, I will most likely will get that, or similar job again in, in some other company, I will most likely get it. The, so, so even though it sounds like, you know, it's a big risky decision, it really wasn't. Like, you know, and mo actually, uh, the, the way I looked at it, like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm working at, say if you're working in a job, you know, your, your career ladder, right? So I'm working on this level. If I actually do a startup for a, for a year, and I, I, I will learn a lot, and maybe I'll come back in a, in a slightly higher role. So it wasn't really a, you know, risky decision like you know everyone uh, asked me like you know how do you take the risk how do you ask the you know um, it's 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 to me it's uh, it's really the decision is more about are you willing to commit that much time and energy and passion because startups are very hard to do without the time commitment and the energy commitment and the passion commitment uh, kind of things right so you have to have supportive family your spouse your significant other has to be supportive of doing a startup if they are not then it's it would be a problem and final question before we ask everyone else to you know ask you questions is uh, what is in your on, on top of your mind now now that you are building these new companies and, and back being an entrepreneur again is it uh, the finan financial reward of, of, of a potential exit or, or I don't know an IP or whatever it is mm -hmm. or is there a higher sense of purpose I'm just trying to understand your you know your, your journey itself as an entrepreneur sure you know it's you know, honestly, I can't spend the money I already have. So it's not, okay. it's not financial return that I'm looking for. 
we can help right? you with that. <laughs> so, no, but I'm just saying the financial part. Sure. But financial is a way to measure, like, you know, did you do something successfully, right? So that is the, always there. The way, the reason, the only thing that drives me is, like, the, I enjoy the, you know, uh, that journey of the, you know, the startup journey is a hard journey, but it's very, it's very fulfilling, right? You know, you, you, it's like you start from scratch and pe everyone is telling like this market doesn't have much potential or something like that. Like half, you know, half the people don't believe in whatever you're saying. And you kind of like you have, you con you're convinced of something, you try to do it and you know, you go through hurdles and you go through challenges and it's, it's you know, think of like, you know, let's say I, I played a video game that I really enjoyed. Why won't I play it again? <laughs> so it's, 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 so to me, it's, that's what really drives me. It's like it's, it's a lot of ful fulfillment. And you know, also there's a lot of fulfillment, and I also like like you know, uh, making difference in lives of people. Like you know, a lot of employees, you can make a lot of difference in their lives. So that's that's also fulfilling from a from a personal side of things. Uh, but my goal is you know, if if I can build another company which is you know, uh, which is a great product in the market, it solves a big problem, and it's financially successful, that would be great. I would I would love doing it. I will enjoy doing it, and that's what I want to do. Godspeed with that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, I suddenly see lots of people here. <laughs> we, we had a nice private chat. So can we have some questions if you have any? Uh, hi, my name is uh, Subhash. Um, well, clearly, Jyoti, you've been an outlier, and I think I appreciate Axel and Pankaj to have sort of brought that out today. Um, I, so I run a, a venture development firm where we help very young startups to sort of figure out their journey. And one of the things, among other things that we've been struggling with them is that they have to look at global markets. Uh, almost, uh, not everyone, but there's a lot of them that they should be looking at global markets because it's probably my personal conviction that they should be looking at not just the Indian market and so on. Now, I, I wouldn't want to miss an opportunity to talk to someone like you and, and sort of not ask this question, but how much of, of that, that Silicon Valley was, that what you, would you consider as a necessary ingredient for not just what you, uh, you know, just starting a company or raising funds or finding a product market fit or scaling your operations, but also to get an exit, right? Which has been a massive elusive thing for a lot of the startups in this country. How much would you, would you attribute that Silicon Valley theater for for, and would you advise that for more and more startups to look at that very seriously? Sure. You know, uh, for startups in India to get executed in global markets is, is probably the number one question I have been asked in my trip. Like, you know, and one of my purpose for this trip was to spend a lot of time in the startup ecosystem and almost like uh, I see that's the number one uh, challenge that people are trying to address. And I, I can see that. Uh, I do think like, you know, there will be product companies who will figure out how to do global markets. You know, there are some who are already starting to. Uh, there will be more over time. It's it's a matter of time. In Silicon Valley, yes, it helps because you have a better ecosystem for people. People know a little bit how to how to do what to do. There are people to talk to and all of that. But there is the, another difference in Silicon Valley. You don't really have an option when you're starting the startup. That's your whole. You are going for global markets. So not having an option that the success from day one means that. Here, like, you know, the definition of success, you know, day one could be like, you know, you're getting success in Indian market in some ways. 
and now you are going from that to a transition to to a, to a new market and there is a there is always a risk like you know the the you know if you get a product market fit in indian market that may not necessarily translate into a product market fit in a in a us market in silicon valley the your product market fit from day one would be us market right so that's the one uh, you know one advantage coming out of silicon valley uh, but i also think like you know there there are two two distinct kind of businesses there are businesses who could start from india product companies saas companies and sell to global markets and they are no different than a silicon valley company right you know their r&d is here and probably in in, in most cases the the bulk of sales eventually will be globally spread out the way a silicon valley company would have and those will happen more and more uh, at some point and there's a second class of companies that are you know going after the indian market to begin with and then they expand into adjacent markets middle east and asia pacific and i i i would almost question like you know do all of those companies necessarily have to go to us market and do the from vc perspective do you always have to chase the the billion dollar global company as an exit right because you know if you if you build a business and maybe the 100 million arr 200 million arr is maybe not that's not the right outcome because these are pretty could be a healthy business growing to like you know 20 million 50, you know even up to 50 million dollar arr and focusing on like india and and the asia asian and middle east kind of markets and is it always necessary that the success is 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 the is the global market multi billion dollar exit and there is a little bit of the disconnect also i feel that you know it's like the the i do feel the the venture capital ecosystem also has to maybe to start distinguishing them between two sets of 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 strategies or two set of startup strategies and they they don't necessarily have to become morph into one set of strategies hi jyoti very inspiring talk so i am a one year old founder and uh, found your advice very useful but one question that keeps me awake at night is this while you're in this product market fit stage especially at scale what are some of the most important things that you should solve for so figure out 0 to 1 mm -hmm. what do you need to get from 1 to 100 is there is there something that we should be thinking about and some things that we shouldn't be thinking about sure. at this stage i would say the, i think the second part of what you shouldn't be thinking about is very important like th there's no point thinking about 100 uh, at that stage you know if you are at, if you are at 1 you know yes you want to think about 100 to like a very macro level so you want to have the right vision the goal for for 100 and you know what you want to probably roughly achieve at 100 but most of the time you want to think about 1 to 10 not because if you if you don't do 10 100 is 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 a uh, is not going to happen anyways right so and uh so if you are at the product market fit stage it's really you want to make sure that you are building for a wide enough market because if you are building something for a very small market the amount of effort is the same and your business will not grow too much you know whatever you are building like depending again on like you know we talked about the global markets with the where the success is measured in a 100 million uh, arr and a billion dollar outcome versus maybe the the a smaller market indian market where the success could be but whatever your market is you want to be able to sustain for many years like so if you got your v1 product market fit at the early thing and that product if it only sustains you for 12 months or 18 months and after that like you know your market was too small that's that, that's that that's kind of a, could be a problem because then you will run into that wall of finding product market fit again like so for us like when we when i would you know and i don't know if i did this deliberately but at least it was part of it subconsciously that if i get a product market fit uh can i push the company at least to like say 30 50 million dollars of 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 business 
like which will take me three to four, uh, four years, but at least to have the product market for, for that longer. And is my market large enough for that? Because, uh, and after that, I had to expand into multiple products, but that's one factor. The second factor is also in that product market fit stage is the, it's kind of the business case. Uh, like that you, you can execute on sales very well if your business case is very clearly defined. On like why should someone buy from, why should someone buy your product? So you may have like, you know, your product is solving a problem, but if you can articulate the business case that, you know, you should buy our product because we'll get 2x more efficiency in this and this, and it will solve you this much money, and that's the business case. Or like, you know, we are 40% cheaper than the competitor, and we have the same product, and that's the, our business case. Or whatever your business case is, if you can identify that now once you're bringing salespeople, it becomes much easier for them to go and execute on that business case, because they need the product and the business case to go and execute and build, uh, build the sales, sales force. Hi, Jyoti. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, it's a great opportunity to get to see you in person. Uh, I'm a founder of a developer-focused startup. So as an engineer, uh, I really want to know how do you envision the future of uh, developer tools and developer-focused software? Because that's something that you have deep expertise in. And if there's one person I would hear would like to know this answer, I, it is you. <laughs> so I sure. really want to uh, okay. hear your opinion. Uh, I, I don't know the answer, man. <laughs> no one knows uh, what it, the the world changes very fast. Like you know, the the only thing I can tell you is like you know, people will be building more software. So uh, software is there's just more and more software. Like you know, we have uh, if you look at like the people in the developer software ecosystem as professionals, like your developers, testers, operations engineers, they're like 15, 15 million or so people, and it's increasing every year. The, the need for software for every business is increasing, every business becoming more and more software business. So anything that gets, so if, if you think about like, you know, these are 15 million people who are building and operating and running software in the world. And these are some of the most expensive people in the world. So the uh, uh, f 15 million people, let's say, let's say their average salary in like developed countries and non-developed countries is $100,000 a year. Uh, like in US, you have to pay like uh, much more than that these days, right? So that's $1.5 trillion a year that's being spent for these, uh, and these 15 million software professionals are driving the world forward everywhere, like that, was, uh, right? And so much money is being spent there. So now if you can take like a small fraction of it and create efficiencies for those, there are ways, there will always be opportunities to monetize them. There will always be opportunity for, like, so, but you have to think of like, you know, if, can you create efficiencies for those? And, and those efficiencies will translate the, for the efficiencies for the businesses who are relying on those. So, you know, if you, it's a, it's a, you know, I'm always passionate about developer uh, productivity and developer tools and things like those because I, that's how I look at it. Like, you know, what's the, the out of the world population of six, seven billion people, the, those 15 million developers are the most highly paid and they are driving the world forward in most ways. And you can, s there are a lot of opportunities for, for them always. Uh, Girish, you have been quiet. <laughs> okay, yeah. Girish. Yeah. So one uh, question on the new startup. Mm -hmm. See, when you are a first-time founder, uh, you're very scrappy and a lot of creativity comes because of the constraints and you don't mm -hmm. have a lot of money to spend. Mm -hmm. Now that you have infinite amounts of money, how do you ensure that, see, the temptation to hire the best people or get into a good office and all of that will be there. Mm -hmm. How do you know or, or distinguish? Uh, are these things going through in your mind as you're building again? How do you keep the crappiness, uh, scrappiness, uh, sorry, mm -hmm. uh, of a new startup? And 
Can you share sure. some thoughts? You know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very good question. And in some ways, that's a, it is a challenge. It's uh, when you are a first time doing a startup, all the constraints are there, scrappiness is there, all that. Some of those constraints are lesser, so. The way I, I so I, I think about it like, okay, how do I create the same pressure or the, the sense of urgency and the same challenge? And I would say maybe I'll set goals that are much more than when I did the, my first startup. And we'll set goals much more aggressive, so that will create the, the pressure. So it's kind of like, you know, if, if I had a goal for like, in, in, like when I was doing AppDynamics in first year of sales, I'm gonna do this much, and which is a very good number, I would try to do 2x of it. So that will create the desire for scrappiness and pressure to do scrappiness again. So that's what, how I'm roughly trying to do it. You know, it's, it's still hard. The, the, actually, the, the harder thing is impatience. Because when you've done a company again, and like, you know, you're operating at a much larger level, and now you start from zero again, you get impatient. You want to get to the, to like the, to the, to the level three and four and five uh, you know, very fast. But you can't really accelerate things too fast. So there's a bit of that, that impatience. But also then the team. You know, I also realized, like, you know, yes, I have that problem, but let me surround myself with a team that that they don't have that problem. So actually, I don't look for in my team. There are most of the people are not coming from a very successful exit, and some of that is by design because I don't want everyone coming from a very successful exit and we are building this this new thing. So at least, and I I, I do realize that I have the drawback that I my scrappiness and hunger would be le maybe less. So I want to surround myself with like, you know, who will push me? Because they are scrappier and hungrier than me, right? So that's, that's how I'm addressing. But it's, it's a, it, 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 could be a, it could be a problem. And I, I do realize that I do need to work on it not becoming a problem. Uh, hi, Jyoti. Uh, my name is Amiya. Uh, thank you for sharing, you know, some great insights about your story. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, what are the areas, uh, I guess developer tools is one that you mentioned. But what kind of founder or area uh, you know, in terms of stage or uh, uh, you know whatever, is something that you would get excited to mentor or advise or uh, you know invest in. Yeah, uh, huh? Advisor, who would you, <laughs> what idea would you advise? Uh, you know, if it's if it's an interesting big problem, yes. You know, uh, many for many people like developer tools is a boring thing, but for me it's interesting because I was a developer and I know like you know, and I I so it really I look at like you know whatever I can get passionate about and. You know, so I really have a broader set of things. You know, uh, Prashant mentioned MindTickle. It's in sales enablement. You know, it's nothing to do with developer tools, but you know, I I, I use that product like you know, AppDynamics was a customer of that product. That's the first. That's how I met them, and our salespeople were loving the product, and I was like, oh, this is so great because we were struggling with those those problems. So that became like you know, okay, the, I got involved in helping them because I I got exposure to a product that I really loved. Right, so so it could happen with 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 anything, you know. I I'm deliberately keeping a open mind on like you know what I should be involved with. Uh, the only thing is like you know I'm uh, you know because I'm doing my own things as well. I I finite amount of time, and instead of like you know uh, how how many companies and startups I could be involved in, a, let's say, an advisor or mentor in a in a small way, is very limited. Maybe I can take like one or two or you know, three if the, with the time I have. So I, I'm trying to, you know, whatever advice I have to share from my experiences, more in in broader forums, like a broader forum or writing or blogs and all. So it's like just more scalable. So that's that's how I, I look at it. But you know, any problem if it's interesting, I could you know, uh, uh, I don't mind helping. 
Uh, hi, Jyoti. Uh, thank you so much for a very inspiring talk. Uh, I just wanted to understand uh, from a market fit business use case to a scale-up stage, what are the two or three things you recommend? Um, you mean from a market fit to scaling up the business? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think the it's uh, once you find the product market fit, uh, the, really it comes down to, and you know I've talked about it. The the most important thing comes down to figuring out how can you build a repeatable go-to market model, you know, repeatable and predictable in some cases also. And you know, starts from. Can, how can you generate demand in a repeatable manner for your for your product? Then, like once you generate demand, how can you can you have a repeatable sales process and salespeople that will do it? And you know, most startups like after the product market fit, they go through this period of almost like an efficiency dip. Because initially, the founders are selling in the product market fit phase, right? And the founders are selling; it's very efficient selling. Like your cost is pretty low. And once you hire the first time, you will hire you like you know someone else to sell it sell your product. They would never be as good as you in selling your product initially. And you will get a dip in efficiency. And so you have to kind of be, but, but if you don't take the dip, you would never be able to scale because you want other people to be able to sell it. So for, for me, I remember like, you know, initially for every deal at AppDynamics I was involved. Like as a founder, you are doing every deal. Uh, doesn't matter how small the deal was. And at some point then like, you know, I, I set a conscious goal. Like, you know, if a deal is less than $50,000 for us uh, there, I, I want, to not be involved by design. And sometimes it's hard for you to, like if you're used to being in every deal, for you to take out of those. And some point, like those deals starting to happen. And then I said to go move the bar, that if the deal is less than uh, you know, $100,000, I, I, I don't want to be involved. And then it became $250,000 and became $500,000. And then like you know, one day I was, there was a million dollar deal happened that I didn't even know about. And that was like a great milestone to have, like, you know, because then the system was scaling. Because you had a machine going on that will do things, and you didn't really have to, be, uh, you know, be part of it. So that's, you know, you have to kind of start building on like how do you build a repeatable, scalable machine, uh, and you know, and how do you, and it, it's like uh, it's a combination of everything. You have, you have a basic product, but like you know, you're, you you have to build a sales machine, you have to build a demand generation machine, you have to build a customer support and success machinery around it. So you just keep, uh, you know, uh, keep bolting more units uh, to scale. That's really what scale, scale is all about. And that also includes people, like you know, uh, recruiting and bringing talent and so that you don't get constrained on, on, on from a scaling perspective. Hi, Jyoti. This is Prasanna. Uh, the question I have is the startup before AppDynamics, I think it got acquired, uh, you said, right? Uh, how did that affect the choice of what you did? That's one. And second, you said you know it got shaped by the first few customers that you spoke to. So how did that affect the choice of that customer? And how important is a good first customer or first few customers in uh, building a really world-class product? The reason I ask is, again, in the Indian context, either if you're building for a global audience or for an Indian audience, the quality of that customer determines, in some ways, the quality of your product and where you eventually get to. So love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, yeah, answer the second question first. So the second question, uh, the first customer and the quality of those customers. My advice normally is try to not limit to one first customer. Try to create it a pool of like say at least like four to five. Uh, so because you don't want to be influenced too much by one particular customer. So uh, it, it's it's the same thing like you know I, in in the early stages to find a product market fit, volume helps because volume and the averaging helps in 
you know, for you to get enough data points that you're not making, getting influenced too much by one strong data point of from like one one customer or two customers, right? So, uh, it, it, you know, in, in AppDynamics, we did a good job on that. Like, we talked to many customers, not like a few, and uh, that created more volume of data on like what works, what what is not. And also, like you know, when we set the goal, like you know, it wasn't like get our customer number one. You always have someone who's customer number one, but really, like you know, it's really the first five customers, and then so there is there is a little bit of the that. So uh, you have to be you have to be conscious that you don't want to uh, narrow yourself to one customer or two customers too much. Uh, uh, you also don't want to build things. Uh, you know, you want to he listen from customers and you want to adapt and you know do a lot, but you don't want to lose your point of view and your conviction. Like it's it, that's how I st you started a, that startup, right? That you have a point of view and a conviction of where the world is going. So you want to learn from customers on like okay, what is the better way of getting there, and like you know you adjust and adapt a little bit, but you don't want to lose that like you know that conviction on where the world is going because then why should you even exist as a company at that point, right? So uh, so that's it's it's really that balance that you have to do. I just had one I guess offbeat personal question. Uh, so Jyoti, when you're in India. What is something that you miss about the valley? And when in the valley, what's something that you miss about uh, India? <laughs> it can uh, be business or uh, personal or whatever. Sure. Uh, you know, at the, at, at, at the personal level, obviously, like, you know, for anyone who is in US will, uh, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a foodie guy, so it's, it's pretty simple. Like, you know, when I come to India, all I do is eat food. <laughs> and, I, and, and I eat a lot. And you always miss that, like, you know, good, good food fr uh, from here. The you know the the I also really like like a lot of things are becoming as very similar to Silicon Valley. Like when I come to like a place like Bangalore, in terms of the startup energy excitement, you go to a coffee shop and people are discussing startups, and it's not it doesn't feel too different from Silicon Valley anymore. Like everyone the, the energy level, the excitement level, you know, it's 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 very uh, it's it's you know yes people would say like yes they are very different. But in many ways, there's a lot. They're very similar. Uh, um, I, I would. I feel more different going from Silicon Valley to New York than the Silicon Valley to coming to <laughs> the Bangalore here and talking to like the the lot of the startup people here in some ways, right? Because culturally, they are very similar. Kind of the 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 the, the energy levels there. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, thanks, thanks everyone. So much.